Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. There are words and phrases unique to your family, like absolutely, which forum listener Chris shared with us, or struggle from James. And there's a word for this unique dialect, familect, the private language and in-jokes that make no sense outside of your home. My next guest, Catherine Himes, has explored why we speak more weirdly at home, which also happens to be the title of her recent Atlantic piece. Catherine Himes, welcome to Forum. Thank you so much for having me. I'm stoked to be here. Well, I'm really glad to have you. And one of the things that I enjoyed learning is that on your birthday, instead of wishing you a happy birthday, your partner says a Turkish phrase that literally means two pigs. (laughs) Why does your partner do this? Yes. Uh, So uh, there's a story behind it, like there are with uh, so many of these words. Um, When I was a younger me, I wanted to impress my new Turkish-American boyfriend in that nervous dating stage by learning a little Turkish and surprising him on his birthday. So I carefully studied all of the silly first words you do as an adult language learner, the animals, the holidays, the tourist vocab, and time comes for me to sing. And I loudly sing, Ikidomuz Hakan, which I meant to be happy birthday Hakan, but actually means two pigs Hakan. <laughs> and uh, now years later, it has stuck with us uh, to the point that it's our own little private shorthand for saying happy birthday. Oh, that's really sweet. And, and, Many of us, as you say, have this private lexicon of our home life. Listener Darlene has Shabbat, which Darlene says are the bath shower hybrids my brother and I took as kids. (laughs) So what (laughs) conditions tend to inspire this language invention, Catherine Himes? Yeah, uh, so really... um... Family words come from when we spend a lot of time with people. I I mean, family words are what uh, binds us together. Um, Language will change in in many dimensions over time, by region, uh, by background factors like identity. Um, But um, familects are special because they're the language that we co-create together with the people that we are most uh, close to. Uh, they're the in-jokes, the shorthand, the nicknames, and um, they come out of um, our lives, our personal histories that connect us to each other. So you don't have to necessarily 
B, it's not like it applies to biological families so much as it can come from any group that shares space for a period of time. Exactly. Uh, any group that uh, it has extended time spent together and then views itself as distinct will develop some kind of special use of language. They'll have a history of talk that is theirs, stories that are relevant to them. You can think about that. It's true in the workplace or in the classroom. But a familect is different in the sense that, that families are such an important unit socially and culturally. And they're the people that we spend these huge amounts of time with. They mm -hmm. witness our most private moments, are uh, some of our most embarrassing moments, um, are some lovely moments, and we create our own history of talk together. We're talking with Katherine Himes, computational linguist and co-founder of Thorny Games, an author of the recent Atlantic piece, Why We Speak More Weirdly at Home. And we're talking about the in-group language of a familect, as Katherine Himes says, the terms, phrases, inside jokes, gaffes and gestures that bind a group of people in close quarters together who spend a lot of time around each other. And of course, you can continue to share your familex with us. We've shared a few from our listeners already, but you can do so by calling 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum to share them or email them to forum at kqed.org. And our listeners did share some via, via voicemail before this show, and I want to play those for you now. Hi, this is Kent in San Lorenzo, and I have a couple of contributions for Familect. One that we use is a, a term called vacationize. When we go on vacation and we see all kinds of wonderful things about a place we haven't been before, we want to move there. And then we'll say, oh, you're just seeing it with vacationize. There are downsides to uh, everywhere, you know, like snow or hurricanes or uh, just all kinds of things. And also, I have another term called pity purchase. It's uh, when uh, I've bought something I don't need, like at a garage sale. I sent someone's been sitting there all day and hasn't made a sale. I'll buy something and I call that a pity purchase. Hi, Forum. I'm calling from Oakland. Um, my dad always calls it Trader's Joe, and he calls the big box home improvement store Louie's. And so now, he and my siblings always call it Traders Joe and Lowy's. We even write Traders Joe in our texts when we're saying, I'm going to Traders Joe. Can I get you anything? So, and I hope we'll do it forever. Hi, Forum. This is Renee. Um, my six-year-old son loves tickles and he sometimes requests a lickle, which is a lick on his neck that will make him laugh. I was also wondering about words that have a specific meaning, but your family only uses it to mean something else. So my family um, has always said big bouvan, which I only recently found out is a Yiddishism from an old boyfriend of my mom's, bouvan, which means an outspoken person. But in my family, we always mean uh, a big bully or something that intimidates with its size. So even like a car or a truck that's just kind of big and hulking. So I was wondering just about that process of taking an existing word but giving it a different meaning in your family that's passed down for generations. Okay, mm. thanks. Wow, thanks, callers, for those great examples. And that question at the end, Catherine Himes, about changing the meaning of something. Do you have any insights on that? 
Yeah, you know, I, I love the intergenerational aspect uh, that the caller uh, spoke of. Um, you know, um, a lot of these words um, are words that uh, may be used more generally, but they're sort of relexified to mean uh, things that um, are particular to the, the set of people that were there for the situation, the circumstance, the mistake. Um, and so they, they come to mean new things for your family. Um, it is a a natural process that happens all the time, even in, in general, more commonly spoken words, but um, but it's all the more intimate and delightful when it is just yours. I also love the examples of um, Traders Joe and Lois. And I'm thinking about people who know more than one language who are constantly like mashing up sometimes two different languages because one of the languages better gets at what you're trying to express than another, or that, uh, you know, sort of some of the ways non-native English speakers will move through the world and create words. I'm thinking of my own mother in this instance will then become a familect. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a way to be playful, right? It's a way to uh, like kind of uh, marinate your language in that play and see mistakes as new things. Um, and uh, children are, you know, the ultimate language experimenters as they are learning, but so too are adults, you know, when they are learning new things or put in different situations and, um, Sometimes those mistakes are, you know, they become sticky and they're repeated and then they're a part of our little family lore. Right. Well, Scott writes, Bista, my great grandma and, and grandma immigrated from Sicily in the early 1900s. Great grandma spoke no English. In Italian, her peas sounded like bees. Grandma would translate for my cousins and I. So pasta became basta, which as little kids, we pronounced as bista. And uh, to your that so that intergenerational piece of this, and then to your point about kids, Susie shares pretty tool used in our fam to show approval or affirmation came via a little cousin who couldn't say his C's, so said tool instead of cool. Always makes me smile. I'll do one more. When my kids were little and we came upon a house lit up for Christmas, we'd all shout Fugard. This is from Peter. Fugard writes, it's a, I mean, Peter writes, it's a family tradition. When my folks lived in Paris, it was my older sister, then two, trying to say the French word for look, <laughs> regard. Wow. Um, well, let me go to some calls and let me start with Scott and Martinez. Hi, Scott. Hey, how are you? Um, sorry, just trying to get off speaker. Um, yeah, I'll be, I'll be brief. So when my daughter was little, uh, we had like a whole bunch, and I mean like dozens of nonsensical nicknames for her, like Hooley and and Buglet and and Squirrelint and all sorts of stuff like that. And then one of them was uh, another one of them was Puddler. And then we were in a museum one day, and we came upon a sculpture, and it said the Puddler. <laughs> so it was. <laughs> and, and we were like, what the heck is a puddler? And then we looked it up and it's like basically like you take and this is funny because she was talking about pigs before you take like uh, it's the furnace process to m make uh, molten pig iron into wrought iron. So, you know, oh. wow, So, so we, <laughs> we're just marveling at the fact that it was actually a real word. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, thanks for sharing yeah. that, Scott. Um, let me go to Astrid in Livermore. Hi, Astrid. Hi, Nina. 
So when I was younger, I had daycare in my house, and the kids formed this phrase. When you ask them, how are you doing today? They would say, oh, I'm doing tippy-doodle. And then on other days, they would say, I'm not so great, would be, oh, I'm doing poopy-doodle. <laughs> so and we maintain to use that term for the last 20 years. <laughs> Oh, Astrid, those are really cute. Uh, I, I'm going to try those. Uh, you know, one of the things that you were writing about as well, Catherine Himes, is that in addition to the words that derive from just being close with each other, you know, these shared experiences like the pandemic, for example, creates this new language, both broadly and within Familex specifically, you know, like I, we weren't saying I'm Zooming or lockdowns, I'm sure nearly as much as we're doing now. But can you talk a little bit about what you learned about the impact of the pandemic on Familex? Yes, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, the many people have very different experiences of the pandemic. So it's hard to speak in generalities. Um, but we also know um, that uh, for some folks, uh, you know, they spent a lot more time with the people that they quarantined during COVID and that they were isolated from others. And the pandemic really shifted their attention to the home where our social units are more strictly defined. And, and that's just a ripe environment for this kind of language, either developing new familex terms or using ones that you already have to a greater extent. Um, and as I was putting out a call for family-like terms that have been coined in the pandemic, it was interesting how they sort of reflected the, the broader reality. Some actually just were based on recent events. Like I, I had a, a friend uh, from uh, Grass Valley, California, give me quarantum, which she described as a joyful word about her new round belly that she has, her husband have, her dogs have, now that they've been so homebound. Um, and then lots of quieter stories of what it is to live at home. Um, a number of people told me about like becoming hyper-focused on little places in their house that then gains new nicknames, like the gloaming, uh, or um, what can just uh, make home seem all the more evocative and interesting given that that's where they spent a lot of time. Um, and uh, and, and uh, another from the Bay Area, kind of speaking to maybe the different ways that we have to find um, uh, amusements uh, at times. Someone told me about uh, a word that was kind of burped out of the void uh, for um, what it feels like when you eat edibles and get a little fuzzy. And that one was shmummy. They're like, oh, <laughs> did you sleep well? No, are, are you shmummy? Like all of so a variety of, of small snapshots of uh, life uh, over the last year. We're talking about the in-group language of a familect with Catherine Himes, a computational linguist and co-founder of Thorny Games. And you, our listeners, are sharing them with us as well as you're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me share a few more. Alexandra writes, I learned the phrase on the tray from my dad's family in Greece. It means you're ornery or grouchy in a bad mood. I believe it comes from the Greek word for male goat. It's a way to make light of, but also to explain a mood. For example, one could say, oh, Ted's on the tray today. Uh, and uh, some of our KQED staff got into this. KQED Sasha Coca writes, chocolate, because my kids couldn't pronounce chocolate. And KQED's Danielle Venton writes, ghost poop for packing peanuts. Ghost poop for peanuts. Here's another one from a listener who writes, thripple to melt the end of a rope or shoelace so it won't unravel. We genuinely believe the English language needs this verb. <laughs> Let me go to Deal in Sunnyvale. Hi, Deal. Hi. Um, a long time ago, probably when I was a little kid, we were out to dinner 
with um, some of my dad's business associates. It was myself and my brothers and my parents and these important people. And my mom came back from the restroom and leaned to me and my brothers and said, when you guys go in the bathroom, check out the tile. It's beautiful. And we all stood up in unison and went and used the bathroom. And now, you know, 40 years later, we're still using the phrase, check the tile to mean go use the bathroom. (laughs) That's a great deal. Thanks for sharing that. This is writes in our house. It's the screen door instead of the screen door. That's what my young daughter thought it was called because we yelled at her to come home through it. (laughs) The scream door. There's a couple more here I wanted to get your reaction to, Catherine Himes. Leah writes, this is one of the most heartbreaking things about being estranged from my brother, with whom I got to share a language and speech patterns for nearly 40 years. There is no one else to speak absurdly fast with, no one else to inexplicably say both instead of both with. And Daphne writes, my late husband used to say, shut the door instead of the French, je t'adore for I love you. Gosh, I hope I'm saying that right. We also used to say it's froggy instead of it's foggy. It was part of our secret language. The past tense there that Daphne uses, the the estrangement or the missing of her brother that Leah is talking about, reminds me of something that you acknowledged in your piece about, you know, the temptation to dismiss Familex as sort of frivolous or, you know, little, little embarrassing artifacts of everyday life. But it sounds like you would really be missing a lot if you did that. Yes, uh, they are um, these uh, living artifacts of relationships and stories that you know you've lived and uh, that uh, that have real meaning for people. Um, and there's a huge energy to these family terms um, when people share them with me. You can see that there is pride and intimacy, and um, it's just a, a not often considered part of our identity and our connection to others. And um, I know uh, I, I lost my father a few years ago and recently was uh, going over old calendars and found the name that we would give our special daddy-daughter days. We call them booper days for whatever reason, who knows? <laughs> um, and it just immediately brought up these um, these warm feelings of these days that I would share with, uh, with me and my dad and that it was our secret handshake special bond. Well, let me go to Jaime in San Francisco. Hi, Jaime. Yes, uh, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Um, this is funny and also ties a little bit with the previous topic that you talked about. We use the word cofefe um, to <laughs> refer to, uh, to coffee. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So every that, morning, Jaime. you know, yeah. Yeah. every morning my, my partner is like, oh, are you going to get, you know, get me some cofefe? Um, so that's, uh, again, <laughs> well, a word that we have... Uh, yeah. Well, what I also love about that and what Jaime is saying is is a point you made in your piece, which is when we all have this sort of shared experience, it does bring us closer. It, it reinforces bonds with each other, but it also just creates this connection, which I think is something we really need these days, um, Catherine Himes, like a shared sense of community and family. Absolutely. And and repetition is such a big part of it, too, where you're really reaffirming your familiness every time that you say a word like that. It's marking the ritual or the joke or the thing that you know, the insider knowledge, uh, and that makes us feel closer. Well, let me squeeze in just a couple of last ones. Snorkeling for snorting writes Tiff Mazagine instead of magazine, says Natalia. And uh, Nannies, which means sleep in my family, says Elaine, something that her late 
grandma came up with. Well, Catherine Hines, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So much fun. Eh, Kath, Catherine Himes, uh, computational linguist and co-founder of Thorny Games. And also thanks to our listeners for being able to share and willing to share your familex and bringing us all into your family in that way. Forum is produced by Ariana Prail, Blanca Torres, Caroline Smith, who produced this familex segment. Susan Britton is lead producer. Interim senior editor is Judy Campbell. Engineers are Danny Bringer and Katie McMurrin. Our intern is Kimia Akbari. Our executive editor, Ethan Tobin Lindsay and chief content officer, Holly Kernan, I'm Mina Kim. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.